Welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast, brought to you by TournamentPokerEdge.com, the only podcast dedicated exclusively to poker tournament strategy. Now here's your host, Clayton Fletcher. Hello once again, everybody, and welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast. I'm your host, Clayton Fletcher, in fabulous Las Vegas, where I just arrived. I'm planning on playing a few of the uh, deep stack extravaganza, whatever they're calling the tournaments now, at the Venetian. Uh, as you guys know from a, a recent episode, I did make my triumphant return to live poker recently with my visit to my family in Maryland and a quick stop at Maryland Live. So I feel like that was a good warm-up and I'm going to be playing in some tournaments here now. My thinking was I didn't want to just show up in Las Vegas in October for the World Series of Poker not having played in Vegas for basically two years. So I decided to come out here and do a bit of a, a practice run. I'm also doing some entertainment stuff out here i uh, have some meetings and stuff like that that most of you don't care about but uh, it's also comedy related uh but yeah i'm not going to be talking to you by myself for the next 45 minutes i have a special guest a first time guest uh he recently won the five hundred thousand dollar guaranteed tournament that took place just a couple of weeks ago at the win casino here in las vegas but uh he's a friend of mine and uh, a really strong poker player and a great all-around guy. Please welcome first-time guest Simon Levy. Simon, how are you? Thank you, thank you. That was a that was a great introduction. I'm I'm doing well. I am doing very well. Yeah. So uh, let me tell people because this is kind of cool. Uh, you and I met because your mother Felicia Madison is a really great stand-up comedian and friend of mine. And I met you through your mom, and then we found out that you are a poker player, and so of course you and I bonded over that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Pretty, pretty crazy. Yeah. So, what does your mom think? You're a young man. How old are you? I'm 23. Yeah. So you're 23. What does your mom think of you winning all that money at the win? Yeah, I mean, I think just just poker in general. She was a bit skeptical at first. Um, as I would assume most parents are when it comes to, <laughs> right. to poker and, and the assumed gambling behind it. But uh, I've done I've done pretty well over over the few years I've been playing. So so they're they're coming along. I'm I'm making them kind of appreciate it a bit more. And, and they were very happy for me when when I called them at you know 6:30 a.m. their time and it was it was 3:30 my time and uh, and told them that I had uh, won a tournament in Vegas. Yeah, and not just any tournament. I mean, this tournament had a $500,000 guarantee. Um, you ended up taking home the trophy and the lion's share of uh, a three-way split uh, at the end, right? Yeah, yeah. We ended up uh, splitting five ways. Oh, five-way split. Okay. Yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, it was quite. It was quite the experience. It was. It was only my third live tournament ever, actually. <laughs> That's amazing. So yeah, tell the people what you normally play because I know you're a big online guy. Yeah, so I I went to school in Philadelphia and Poker Stars Pennsylvania launched right at the beginning of my senior year when I was uh, already 21. So I I started playing some low stakes poker on there 
not really knowing what I what I was doing. I had played in some home games with some friends before, but but really kind of got interested in the game there and, and decided that I, I wanted to get better and, and beat, you know, the, the field in Pennsylvania. And and yeah, that's just kind of how my, my poker journey took off. Yeah, so when you and I first met, you were actually uh, still a student at that school, and uh, your your mother and I were doing quite a bit of comedy together <laughs> at the time. So here she has her, her young son, he's 21, and she's like, you know, after you and I had first met and we talked for even just a few minutes about poker and I could tell right away that you were a student of the game, that you were taking it seriously and that you weren't just uh, kind of screwing around and getting into gambling when you were in college. So I tried my best to assure your poor mother that <laughs> that uh, you probably weren't going to just you know squander the family fortune or whatever. Uh, how did you develop your your poker skills? I mean, are you a a website guy? Are you a video? Do you watch a lot of videos? Do you read books? Um, how did you sharpen your game? So I think originally I was watching a lot of uh, Twitch streams, Spraggy and and the the Poker Stars streamers and and some of the other streamers and just that's how I kind of like learned that people are kind of thinking of the game and thinking of hands more than just oh I have a hand this is a good hand let's bet, and and that kind of went into some more videos online and. And they ended up purchasing the the Razor Edge uh, training software. So I was I was watching those videos and and studying those preflop charts. And it just kind of snowballed through there, where I've I've gotten more and more interested in in kind of trying to find the the solvers and the and the true way to play the game, so that I can I can understand the baseline and and look at how other people are playing and kind of exploit from there. Well, whatever you're doing seems to be working because prior to this live win where you took home what was it 93,000 something like that yeah just just under 93,000 yeah so that's I mean obviously a, a great score I mean I, I don't know what I would have done if I suddenly had a windfall of $93,000 at age 23 <laughs> maybe it's for the best <laughs> that that did not happen to me actually uh, but yeah uh, in addition to that you've also had quite a bit of success when uh, you first joined the uh, online streets as it were in Pennsylvania. So yeah, tell us a little bit about the games that you were playing on uh, WSOP.com or whatever site you were playing. Was it poker? Was was it party poker in 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 Pennsylvania? Or is it just WSOP? It was actually just uh, Poker Stars PA. Mm. So so party poker and and WSOP have launched there recently. But for the first year and a half, it was it was only Poker Stars Pennsylvania. And yeah, I, I started out playing just some some small buy-in. Um, SNGs and and multi-table tournaments and and not really doing great and it was frustrating and and my bankroll management skills you know weren't great at the time it was really the first time I was taking poker seriously and and got got lucky in a few tournaments that that allowed me to have kind of somewhat of a real bankroll on the on the site and just kind of sun ran from there and 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 spun it up a bit well you can say that again I mean you spun it up you you built your bankroll to where you could actually afford to uh, take a trip to Vegas with some friends, right? You guys kind of went like as a group. Yeah, so so there were I think five people from our Poker Starts Pennsylvania Discord, and I was rooming with with one of them, and he actually ended up making the the final table of the 
of the tournament as well, which was pretty remarkable. <laughs> so two of you guys ended up. <laughs> and how many people played in this tournament? How many how many runners were there? There were there were two thousand four hundred eighty people who started. <laughs> three three people from the our two hundred person Discord made the final table. That's not bad. <laughs> no, no, it's it's not bad at all. It was pretty crazy. Representing Pennsylvania, huh? How about that? Yeah, yeah, but we apparently know what we're doing. Yeah. So are the games there wild? Because I've played some uh, cash games and tournaments at casinos in Pennsylvania, like in Chester or at the Parks uh, Racetrack Casino. Their parks, uh, they have a lot of tournament series throughout the year. And uh, one thing I noticed, the, the games, like, they were extremely aggressive, like a, lo a lot of really loose action. Uh, is that how it is on, on Party Poker PA as well? Um, in online, what I've noticed is that, you know, you have a lot of very good aggressive players at some of the higher stakes, but then as you get down below the $100 buy-ins, people play pretty, pretty passively and pretty tight. So, so pretty much the opposite of, of that. But I've heard that the live scene is, is quite different. Yeah, I don't know. A lot of tough guys. A lot, of a lot of tough guys that don't want to be bullied and they'd rather be a bully mm -hmm. and, and that kind of mentality and that approach to the game, which we we talk a lot on this podcast about uh, what what motivates people when they're playing, like what what they're really going for. Like Some people are trying to approximate a solver themselves, like basically be a GTO robot, regardless of what's happening. They're always going to stick to you know the perfect distributions and and you know just the right balance no matter what and other players kind of they'll notice that one of their opponents has a certain tendency and then they will alter their strategy to try to exploit that tendency so which which category do you fall into i mean i i would say i'm definitely more of the the exploit kind of player but i also think that i i need to use both to, to be successful because when I sit down at a table for, for the first time and I don't know anyone there, I do need to have some sort of set strategy that I can adjust from when I when I start to see player tendencies. So I think I think building a, a baseline in, in GTO or, or, or some sort of kind of GTO strategy that you have, whether or not you're you're adjusting based on, you know, population tendencies is important. And then seeing how, you know, player one plays and, and jams any two cards, you know, you're going to have to adjust from there. Yeah, otherwise you're just leaving a lot of money on the table. You might be playing like a perfect robot, but, mm -hmm. you know, you guys have to remember, like, GTO is an unbeatable style, at least in theory, um, but that doesn't mean it's the most profitable way to play. Many mm -hmm. times you can sort of deviate from it, but yeah, I agree with you, Simon, that if if you want to deviate from GTO, you first have to know what what GTO is because when you are trying to exploit your opponents, it's almost like, to me, it's like a, a guitar player, right? Before you can make up an incredible solo on a guitar, you have to know how to play your scales and you mm -hmm. know, what the chords are. And to me, it's kind of like that. Like GTO is the foundation where we know what, what the baseline is, what the baseline perfect strategy would be. And then if you if you choose to deviate, you should have a good reason for doing so, not just because you're getting bored or because you feel like being more aggressive for no reason. Like there has to be a reason. And to me, that reason is always I've noticed a mistake mm 
that my opponent is making and I realize that I can make more money than even the GTO style if I appropriately capitalize on that mistake. Is that kind of where you're coming from as well? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Cool. Cool. So we sound like we're on the same page, but you know, before we get into some hands, and I know you wanted to talk to me about some of the the hands that you played um, out there in Vegas. A few days before your trip, you and I had a phone call where you told me that you haven't really played uh, very much live at all, uh, especially casino poker. Being a man of 23, <laughs> right? How much? How many times have you been to to casinos anyway? And like this was your your only your third live tournament, so you wanted to know. Um, from me like what you should be looking for and I gave you a few tips on just you know kind of live strategies and tells and and things like that so is it fair to say that I deserve 100% of the credit for your victory yeah that that seems about right <laughs> <laughs> I did give you some good advice but yeah I, I think uh, but you know I'm not going to ask for half the money or anything just you know consider it a, a, an act of friendship okay no problem Deal, deal. <laughs> so what's it like you're getting ready to go to Vegas? How psyched were you to travel, especially after, you know, the lockdown that we've all been through? Were you really looking forward to the trip? Oh, oh my goodness, yeah. I mean, I was I was planning to do a World Series of Poker trip after I graduated, and that all got canceled because of COVID and, and being locked up and, and making this trip. I was thinking about it for weeks weeks and weeks dreaming about it and and just really excited to 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 go to vegas and and play live poker for for pretty much my first live poker trip so you graduated from college in the spring of 2020 correct oh right in the middle of the pandemic wow yeah yes. so that of course yeah. that vegas trip had to be postponed but uh obviously you you made up for lost time with this one <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah i yeah this this trip was was something else so what kind of prep did you guys do? Did, did so you have a Discord of all your friends that play um, on the Pennsylvania sites, uh, and, and so did you guys? Did you kind of talk strategy ahead of time? Did you did you study some videos? Did you just watch a lot of Twitch streams? Like what kind of prep did you do besides obviously that um, super super beneficial phone call with me? <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're always talking strategy and, and posting hand histories in our Discord. And I also recently got this this fun app called DTO, which I just play like at night before I go to sleep, and it just kind of runs you through different hands, and you get a bunch of different choices, and it and it tells you which ones are right and which ones are wrong according to their simulations, which you you may or may not agree with. So so just learning you know, in some spots where it's good to bet big or small or where it's good to check even with, you know, strong hands. Uh, just just kind of figuring that out helped a lot and, and helped me navigate through some post-flop situations, which so uh, I uh, thought was, was very helpful. Yeah, for sure. That's Dominic's app, right? Dominic Nietzsche? Yes, correct. Yeah, all right, cool. So, um, yeah, actually, we had Carlos Welch on, uh, a recent bracelet winner, Carlos Welch, mm -hmm. was on uh, a couple months ago and he was talking about that app as well. You know, now even though this podcast, of course, is sponsored by TournamentPokerEdge.com, which is uh, an amazing training site um, where you can actually get access to a thousand plus videos from coaches like Andrew Brokus, Alex Fitzgerald, Colin Moshman, like really, literally some of the top names in the game. 
for as little as $25 a month. It's an annual subscription. But we are happy to hear about what other sites people are using. And, uh, you know, it seems like this DTO is picking up a bit of, of steam these days. Obviously, Dominic is one of the most respected players in the game. So um, it sounds like he's got a good thing going there. Uh, so that's cool. So you get on the plane. You guys all took the same flight out there, or did you all just meet up once you got to Vegas? Uh, no, we had, we we all met up when once we got there. Um, and it was my first time meeting these guys in person, so so it was it was a little weird, but but a lot of fun. That's cool. Were they uh, were they, what kind of guys were they? Were they partiers? Were they poker geeks? Were they nerdy? Like you can tell us, they're um, not going to ever hear this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was it was a, a mix a mix of all. <laughs> Good times. So, what's the buy-in for this five hundred thousand dollar guaranteed event? Uh, it was it was a five hundred dollar five hundred dollar buy-in. Wow! Imagine turning five hundred dollars into ninety three thousand. That is, I mean, that's nothing short of spectacular. So, when you first arrived at the Win, which by the way, the Win is one of the nicest casinos in the world. It is just everything about it just feels luxurious to me. Um, you know, even the chairs that you get to sit in when you're playing a tournament there, it's just super comfortable. If anyone listening has never been to Vegas or has been to Vegas but never played at the win, I, I highly recommend it. And also, another thing I like there is the rake is reasonable. A lot of the casinos in town really like to kind of uh, overcharge people for the privilege of playing a poker tournament, but I feel like the, the rake at the win is, is reasonable. Do you agree with all that? Yeah, yeah, I, I would agree. I think I think it's such it's such a nice hotel. Um, just just walking through the shops at the very beginning, you you get this like Vegas feel of of extravagance, which which is really great. Oh yeah, I mean, there's the Rolex store, and then there's the Christian Louboutin, and there's this just any kind of high end. Oh, don't let your mom hear this. She's gonna want to take a trip to go <laughs> shopping at the Wynn. <laughs> All right, so. Uh, Let's talk about when you first sit down. How nervous are you? It's like the third time you've ever played uh, in a live uh, tournament in a in a casino. So, what were you feeling? Were your were your uh, were your palms sweating? Was your heart pounding? Or were you just kind of like, look, it's just another day at the office. We're going to do our best, and whatever happens. Um, I would say in the first tournament I played, I was a bit more nervous. But but by this time, what you know, walking into the win, I was feeling pretty confident. Um, and, and just from the start, you know, just after playing the first few hands, I was, I was feeling pretty good, but, but definitely times where, you know, I would win a hand and, and I'd be shaking a bit or, or nervous <laughs> or whatever, whatever way my, my body would, would display those emotions. Yeah. Yeah. I don't have to worry about that behind a computer screen. Yeah. That is a huge difference, right? When you're playing online, man, you could just, uh, you can scream if you win a big pot. You're like, woohoo! You know, <laughs> I, sometimes when I'm playing online, I'm yelling at the screen, please fold, please fold, because I'm bluffing. All right, so let's get into it. You know, here you are. You're in this tournament with 2,000 other players, like five of whom are some of your friends from your Pennsylvania uh, poker club. Um, now, did you have a similar network when you were in college? Um. So, so I met all these guys when I was in college playing poker in Pennsylvania. So, so these are all from my my late college days, but but not really. The, the the friends that I had who played poker, you know, in who went to my college didn't really take it as seriously as I did. Right. Yeah. No, it's just part of your personality, and I think that this is one of the the traits 
that I noticed right away with you that caused me to have those conversations with your mom where I said, don't worry about him. I think Simon's going to, to do well because he's clearly a student of the game. Like to me, I know that you also play golf. And I think that golf and poker are similar in that the more you know about either game, the more you realize you don't know about either game, if that makes sense. And it just makes you want to learn more. Like you enjoy golf more if you learn the, the finer points. And same with poker. Do you see the same similarity? Yeah, and, and I think the even more, the, the closer similarity is the mindset and, and the mentality that you have to have to be, you know, a competitive player and that, you know, if you, you can get tilted in golf just like you can get tilted in poker and it, and it really throws your game off. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you, you and your dad have that in common as well. Uh, my mother and I used to have poker in common. She's basically retired now, but my mother's a poker player as well. And she and I used to love to talk strategy about about poker hands and tournament strategies and stuff like that. And then you and your dad, your dad's not a poker player, but you and your dad have spent I don't know how many hours together on, on the golf course, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, tons and tons of hours on the golf course ever since I was just a little kid. Yeah, and so, yeah, even when you were just a boy. So uh, maybe kind of just learning the discipline from him, which is like, yeah, this is a hobby or a fun game that we like to play together. But look, the the more you, I don't want to say take it seriously because it is fun, but the more you dedicate to it, the more you actually get out of it, right? Mm-hmm. And you've done pretty well in golf too, isn't that true? Yeah, yeah, I, I played a lot of golf in in high school, and I uh, considered playing in college, but but decided uh, against it at the at the last minute. Yeah, got into the poker club instead, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, I do commentary for the World College Poker uh, Organization. I don't know if you've heard of them or not, but it's basically this new thing, relatively new thing, um, where we we have poker tournaments that are free to buy in if you're in college and they have amazing prizes like a seat in a major EPT event and things like that coaching with Jonathan Little and 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 stuff like that so uh, I I love what they're doing because they're really trying to develop poker within the the college market but let's get back to your trip to to Vegas Simon I want to hear about one of the hands that you played I know it was it was what a two-day or a three-day event this was a, t- a two-day event with six starting flights. Okay. So how many of those starting flights did you actually enter? I entered. I only entered one starting flight, but I, I was in for two bullets in that flight. Okay. So you re-entered once. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So fine. You turned 1,000 into 93,000, <laughs> <laughs> to be clear. All right. So uh, what, what level is this uh, hand going to be from? So, so one of the last levels of the day, I think, was... I, the whole day one was was pretty straightforward. I think there were a couple interesting hands, but as we got down to to the bubble, so so the tournament played to the money, so it played to 11% of the field, and everyone who made day two was in the money. So at the end of the day, there was a bubble. 30, 37 people made day two, and when there were about 40 people or so left, I had uh, 15 big blinds, and I was on the button, and uh, a tight player under the gun raised to three and a half big blinds. And it folded to me, and uh, me and my 15 big blinds, we had pocket jacks. Oh, man, that's a tough spot because, you know, I don't know what the standard raise at that table was, but three and a half seems 
pretty high and many times a really tight player who opens from early position uh, to three and a half X. I'm not sure how much I like my jacks. Like how tight was this player? This player was very tight, um, but I was, it was like my first or second hand of the table. So I, did, I didn't know too much. I didn't know too, too much. Okay. But uh, so then you kind of go by what, what the, the person's vibe is. Like mm-hmm. you thought this person was, vi- was like a tighter type of player. But, you know, mm-hmm. given the lack of info, being that you're only at this table for a short time, I mean, I think we have to stick it in here with our jacks, right? Yeah, yeah, and 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 that is what we did. But I, I wasn't sure, you know, the the lowest hand I would go with there. Like, if I have nines, am I am I folding? Because I I don't think I can call like any part of my range there off fifteen big blinds. No, not when he makes it three and a half x, or really not even if he makes it two. Like, you could maybe justify if he made it a smaller amount, but certainly when he opens to three and a half, I think whatever we play, we should just stick it in. Now, what's difficult here, and remember, the reason why Simon's bringing this hand, I think, is because there are bubble considerations, right? I mean, this is my third ever live tournament. I would like to cash, if possible, right? (laughs) So that's part of it. So you don't want to be too tight just because you want to cash, because obviously, you know, cashing is going to pay something like, I don't know, I'm guessing like 800 bucks, right? But, uh, Winning pays ninety three thousand if you chop five ways, and up to like <laughs> the actual quoted price for, for first place was something like what was it one twenty or something? I think it was one fifty. One fifty, yeah. So with that in mind, you know we shouldn't be overly concerned about cashing. I think folding jacks here would be ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I would personally go with it if I had nines. I would also be shoving certain unpaired hands like ace queen you know mm-hmm. the the raise from under the gun it was under the gun or just early position under the gun yeah right next to me yeah 3.5 x from under the gun yeah i don't know it's tough because we don't know anything about this guy but yeah i guess i guess ace queen is just too strong to fold and given the dynamics here we just have to stick it in Mm-hmm. Um, do you agree with that, or would you fold ace queen? I think I think it depends. I think first hand of the table. I think ace queen suited. I'm definitely going with. Yeah. And ace queen off is is a tough decision. It's a tough decision, but I'm I'm going to err on the side of of shoving there because honestly, the way I approach it, and yo, know, my listeners know this, and a lot of them quibble with me about this, is I'm, I'm trying to win the tournament. You know, cashing is important. Obviously, it's better to cash than to not cash. But uh, this is a spot where I could possibly get it all in against ace-jack. Um, or even if I end up having a coin flip for all the for all the chips, then I'll have 30-some big blinds if I win. And then that's a stack you can actually play into the money and then start to build your stack for a deep run on day two, right? So, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I undervalue the importance of of the min cash and I, I freely admit that it's a it's one of the holes in my game if you will but it's just I, I'm never here for you know 187th place I'm always here for first place so otherwise I wouldn't play mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah but nines is getting close ace queen is getting close but yeah I think it's a shove with jacks so so she actually ended up 
tanking for for a while on the bubble and open folding ace king wow yeah i mean that shows you you have to shove yeah because on the bubble people make ridiculous folds I mean, mm-hmm. only costs are another eleven and a half big blinds to call. Yeah, which is only yeah. a hand as strong as Ace King, but yeah. So that that kind of proves that many players will go out of their way to cash, mm-hmm. and I, I think that's a mistake, especially when she did have you covered. Yeah, and that's that's one of the big things I I focus on in live poker and making sure I'm making people, you know, make the call decision. I think I think jamming is is almost always way better than calling when when you're in big spots against against tighter players. Yeah, I mean if she's tight enough to raise fold with ace king, then that means we should be shoving a lot more hands. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But of course we don't know that at the time, and maybe sometimes she will call with her ace king. Just this time she mm-hmm. folded. Maybe she thought she had a read on you, or maybe she just really didn't want. A lot of times you'll hear players, and they'll even say this out loud. I, I just I don't want to take a coin flip. I mean, honestly, nobody ever wants to take a coin flip, right? But flipping is part of poker. Like you, if you mm-hmm. never take a coin flip, you're folding too much. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. All right, so we win that one. That's nice. That builds you up. And then right after that, are we in the money? Uh, right after that, or, or a few hands later, and and I, I picked up you know five or six big blinds with with the antes and. Yeah, and I was able to kind of uh, attack people on on the bubble going forward and and be really aggressive, which helped me increase my stack actually almost double without without having to, you know, be all in at risk. Wow, that's excellent. Yeah, that's always good. Uh, the biggest bubble in the world is the main event bubble, and you know, of the two times that I've cashed in the main event, uh, I was in the top 100 somehow in both of them. But in both of those tournaments, it was all about being super aggressive on the bubble. I remember in the 2015 main event, I was playing absolutely maniacally at a very tight table on the bubble where everybody was looking at the other tables. You know, are we in the money yet? Are we in the money yet? Are we in the money yet? And one guy actually folded trips to me. He showed it. He had flopped a set and folded because I put him all in on the turn. Mm-hmm. And I had Yeah, like, th- those are times when you don't want the bubble to end. Yeah, it's like, wow, if you're going to fold trips, like, you're never calling. You're never calling with anything. (laughs) Yeah, so, and those are great opportunities to accumulate chips. You just want to make sure that your opponents are the type that will make those kind of ridiculous folds because they want to cash so badly. You know, everybody wants to be able to go home and say, yeah, I played the main event, I cashed. You know, (laughs) but is that worth not accumulating chips and not giving yourself a shot at the millions up top. Yeah. I mean, my answer is no. So I'd rather bubble the thing than to, you know, end up cashing with a, with a short stack and not really having a shot at the big prizes. So, and I have, I have bubbled the main event or close to, I mean, I don't mean literally bubbled, but you know, busted out very close to the money in the main event before. And, uh, you know, truth be told, it doesn't feel good, but, I think it was still the right play, given the way my opponents in that year were, were playing. All right, so getting back to you, now we make it to day two, and we, mm-hmm. we have a we have a stack, or what? Yes, we started off with, with a great stack of, of 400K from, from 25K starting, but, but day two got off to a rough start, and we were all the way down to like 200, I think, at our, at our min. 
And around then, uh, what was the average when you were down to 200? What do you think the average stack was approximately? It must have been 400,000. Okay. Something, something around there. Yeah. So even though then, earlier you had you had one of the chip leads, mm-hmm. uh, at that point, now how do you how do you cope with uh, the emotion of the moment? Because I know when we're playing online, we often have 10, 12, 15 tables going, and if you're if you get short on one table, it's not the end of the world because you got you know, other irons in the fire. But how is it different for you, just emotionally, in dealing with the disappointment of no longer being one of the chip leaders at that stage of the tournament? Yeah, it was it was more difficult than I thought it would be. And in, in all the tournaments, just you know, going down from starting stack to half starting stack, and and realizing this is the only tournament I have for the day, and, and <laughs> you know, getting frustrated around there. It, it was it was difficult to make sure I you know still continued playing my game. Say hey look I still have 60 big blinds. It's plenty. I can work up from here. I just need to keep playing poker. So so it, it was difficult at times for sure. Do you think your experience on the golf course helped you kind of learn how to have the right mentality in in the heat of battle? Yeah, I mean there were definitely things that I would do on the golf course to calm myself down that I saw myself also doing on the felt that that helped a lot. But just your one taking deep breaths. T- taking my time and and just being relaxed yeah so really deep breathing um you know it's not the first time i heard someone say that that actually does help does it just kind of calm you calm you down a little bit keep your mind focused what sort of things do you tell yourself do, do you have like the kind of brain that works that way like where you you tell yourself it's okay simon you're still in it you've got 60 big blinds don't don't go on tilt and punt it all away I mean, I, I try my I try my best to tell myself not to do that, but but sometimes it happens anyway. <laughs> yeah, no one's perfect. <laughs> yeah, because the way my brain works, I definitely end up talking to myself during breaks. Like I'll go out, and uh, sometimes I even turn on my voice recorder because it. You know, sometimes I think I have thoughts that I might want to talk about here on the podcast in between, uh, you know, levels or whatever, and. I actually do talk to myself like, you know, you got this. You've been here before. You have eight big blinds, but that doesn't mean it's over. It's not over yet. Stay positive. You know, kind of those those reflective, self-reflective, if you will, conversations, I think, have served me well. Mm-hmm. So, so, yeah, that's interesting. So are you sitting there at the table, like literally taking deep breaths? Yeah, yeah. Usually before I, I look at my hand on the next turn, I'll take two deep breaths just to make sure I calm myself down before you know starting the next hand and and reacting in any way that could give 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 anything away. Yeah. Well, I mean, I've heard great golfers, Tiger Woods and others, talk about how your most important opponent on the golf course is yourself. Mm-hmm. And I think that's true in poker as well. Maybe even more so in poker, actually. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. All right. So what happens next? So so we ended up building from from 200k to about 800k without getting all in free and without being at risk ever. And uh, we have an under the gun raise. We're in the big blind. There's an under the gun raise. Small blind. Who's Pat Lyons? Who's a who's a pretty famous live poker player. Flats from the small blind. And I call with uh, three four of hearts off about 16 big blinds. Okay. So you're in the big blind with the three four of hearts and so now we're going to see a flop three-handed and you'll be in the middle Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. all right and so the the flop comes five of hearts seven offsuit seven ten of hearts 
Okay, so we have a gut shot and a flush draw. Otherwise, we have four <laughs> high. <laughs> yes. All right, and our gut shot isn't so great. Yeah, it's the bottom end, but I'm not I'm not too worried about. You know, I'm only worried about eight nine there. So yeah, it it should it should be good enough. Yeah, it should be good enough a lot of the time if if we happen to get there that way. I'm mm-hmm. not personally. I'm rooting for a heart, but mm-hmm. um, all right. And does uh does Pat check to you? Pat does not check to me. He he leads for for about two or three big blinds. Okay, so this is interesting. Um, the mm-hmm. pot has about seven big blinds in it. Uh, just about seven, yeah, okay. seven and a half, I think. And now he leads out. Now we've been talking a lot about this lately on the podcast because uh, some of the more advanced solvers that are figuring out how to play multi-way pots. Of course, we all know about Pio and the others that can handle heads-up pots, but the apparently none of us are leading out enough um, in situations like this multi-way. So I guess Pat is hip to that, and he's done something that. I think these days is still considered somewhat unorthodox. He was not the pre-flop raiser, and now he's betting right out into two opponents. Mm-hmm. Um, so before you tell us how you handled things, what do you make of his range here? Like, what do you think a player like Pat should have? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if this is the best spot to to be donk leading, as you know, I have a, a, a ton of very good hands that I defend from. From the big blind and, and under the gun is still obviously uncapped. It has sets and and over pairs and and all these sorts of you know strong hands. So I think there are a lot of draws and there are a lot of you know weak uh, single pair hands that don't want to have the flop get checked through and and see a bad turn. So that that's kind of what I was thinking about going going into you know my decision. Yeah. What do you think about that thought process? Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I think that the, uh, you know, as I mentioned, some of these high-end solvers that are handling this with the multi-way situations, like, yeah, of course, the obvious thing is that a, a lot of his range should be draws. But at the same time, and the reason why I say that is because if he's only betting two big blinds into a seven big blind or an almost seven big blind pot. Mm-hmm. And so if he has a draw, especially like a combo draw, I don't know, something like nine, six of hearts, is that a gut shot and a flush draw? Yeah. Yeah. So hands like that, or, you know, I'm not looking at it, but yeah, those type of hands might want to make this kind of bet because they really want to see that turn card and they don't want to overpay for it. So if I can mm-hmm. bet two and just get you guys to either call or fold rather than having to check and then have you bet three or four big blinds, I end up saving a lot of money in the long run that way. So the only thing he really doesn't want to see when he's doing that with a hand like that is a raise, but he can call that raise because he has so much equity, right? Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. you want to be able to do this with your draws, but then you also need to be able to do it with some very strong hands as well, right? Leading Mm -hmm. out with like bottom set is a nice play here because you guys probably won't put him on that very often and Mm -hmm. it does counterbalance the fact that it's a draw heavy board um and then actually actually does end up benefiting those times when you guys fold especially if you had a gut shot or a flush draw or some kind of combo yourself if you end up getting sandwiched in the middle and you end up having to throw your hand away for whatever reason um the deuces actually benefit whether you call or you fold which is Kind of the nice thing about doing that with a hand like that. 
Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, you can also have uh, what was the top card? A ten. A ten, yeah. Yeah, so you can have a hand like Jack Ten or Ten Nine suited, stuff like that as well, and just not like you said, want to protect against um, so many bad turn cards that could come and put mm-hmm. him in a tough spot. So, yeah, with all that in mind, assuming that his range is constructed similar to that or in some way that's, that resembles that, um, it feels like raising from your seat is attractive. Is that what you did? I, I did end up going all in. Oh, so we have how many blinds here? I, I started the hand with, I think, 16 big blinds. You know what? I thought you said 60 before. No, so. no, not, not 60 big blinds. <laughs> yeah, shoving for 60 bigs would have been crazy. But yeah, okay. Yeah, no, I'm fine with that. I mean, especially because uh, so many bad things can happen if you just call. You really can't afford to lose two big blinds by calling here and then breaking the turn and having to fold mm-hmm. on, on, on 4th Street. It's just these, these chips are too valuable to us now. You know, by the time he bets two into seven, there's nine in there, and you only have 16. So shoving for less than twice the pot at that moment is clearly profitable when you have so much equity with your flush draw, gut shot, and everything else. Um, I'm not sure what we what we buy in terms of getting rid of the under the gun original razor. Uh, we I think we almost want him to call with a hand like pocket kings. Uh, yeah, we. I think I would shove, but hope for that call from from both players, mm-hmm. or or you can shove and hope that everybody folds and you just take it down, which is also a great outcome when we have four high with potential. Yeah, I think I think both the the double fold or the double call are are great options for our hand as long as we're not as long as our flush draw isn't dominated or our straight draw isn't dominated. Yeah, that's the bad news is if is if somebody comes in with you and he's got uh yeah like better hearts or. Yeah, I mean, you can't worry about everything when you're playing poker, right? Yeah, yeah. I like it. It is what know. it is if, if yeah. I get it in with, you know, 5%. Yeah, and that sucks, but it is, it's not 0%. I mean, in this yeah. spot, I think you're hardly ever going to be 0%. So mm-hmm. um, even if you need running trays, that's something. <laughs> you know, you'll get something. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, so what what happens? So so Under the Gun ended up folding, and Pat Lyons, the, the small blind, ended up calling with King-10 off. And uh, and we hit a we hit a queen of hearts on the turn, so so he was drawing dead, and we got the big double up. Nice. And it was it was the only hand of the entire tournament where I was all in and at risk. Now you've mentioned that a few times, like that you were never all in and at risk on day one, and and that you had gotten to this point without being all in and at risk. Uh, is that something that you think about when you're playing online as well, like trying to avoid ever being all in and at risk? I mean, is that part of your approach to the game that if you can help it you try not to be at risk at all i mean obviously it's it's good if you can you know get to the end of a tournament without without being all in at risk but i don't think that's something i i try to avoid i just think in this tournament the the cards came my way so that it didn't happen because like if i have a spot where i know i'm getting the chips in good i'm, I'm happy to take a flip or you know I'm I'm happy to run it for for all of my chips if if that's what the the situation kind of calls for. Yeah, you're not like driving to to the casino saying I'm not going to be all in and at risk today. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, unless you win the tournament, you have to be all in at, at all in and at risk at least once. So you you just kind of have to run it sometimes. That's for sure. 
So I know we're running out of time, but um, yeah, I love the shove there. I think that's a that's a good play. Now, I, when you were describing the hand, I was thinking you had 60 big blinds because you said 16, but I misheard you. Um, but yeah, <laughs> certainly with 16 bigs, I think that's the only play there, unless you just want to fold and be very conservative because you don't mm-hmm. want to get sandwiched. And like you said, there are some nightmare scenarios where you end up being up against a better flush draw or, or whatever. But yeah, I, I think all things considered, you, you played it mm-hmm. just right there. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, nice hand. Um, and yeah, so Pat Lyons, you know, he's betting there with the top pair and he ends up getting it in good, but you have a ton of equity and you end up getting lucky. Um, yeah, at about 49%. I, yeah. I looked at it after the hand. So, yeah, so, so pretty much a pure flip. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense because you have so many outs. You have like 14 outs, right? 13, yes, and some backdoors. Yeah, yeah. All right, so yeah, nice hand. And uh, those are the spots where you need to catch your card or else uh, we don't have the uh, <laughs> the sweet story of you getting to the end. But yeah, before yeah. we wrap up, talk to us about what it's like five-handed. Um, how did that negotiation go down and did you have any part of you that was like I should play for first yeah so I mean I went into the final table in nine-handed comfortable in chips about average and then when we were five-handed you know all the other four were, were very big stacked and I got a run of cards where I was being very aggressive and raising and, and re-raising and I even had a four-bet bluff in there and just kind of 3 x my stack just all pre-flopping on the flop and I got to the point where I was the chip lead, and and I I looked at the table and I said, look, I I've, I've been running great, I've been really aggressive. My image isn't going to be one where I can just run over this table for the rest of the way, and and just kind of take advantage, you know, ICM wise against them. So so I offered the deal, and you know, as part of the deal, I got the trophy, and and I got that nice picture. So so that was definitely part of it as well, knowing as chip leader, I would I would be able to get the trophy. Um, but I felt I felt comfortable on the table. I was surprised at how comfortable I was. I wasn't nervous at all. I was I was playing my game. I wasn't looking at the numbers. I I was just you know really just focusing on the cards and, and my actions. And and yeah, I felt I felt great. But you know, sixty thousand dollars from second to first is a lot to play for. Fifth was guaranteed thirty-two thousand. So one hundred twenty thousand from from fifth to first is is a lot of money to play for. And and I just decided that you know if if you know, I finished the tournament and they were offered to kind of sit down with me and play for that kind of money, I would definitely say no. So, so the deal I think was was the best choice for me. Yeah. Obviously, part of me wants to have played for everything and, and won outright, but sometimes that isn't the right decision too. Yeah, well, it sounds like you made a pragmatic choice. What would it have taken for you to want to continue playing? I know for me, like if the other four were absolute fish. And they just had no clue how to play tournament poker, especially shorthanded. Mm-hmm. Then I would, of course, want to be, you know, playing mm-hmm. for the for the big prize. Can you think of any other scenario where you might not want to uh, offer your your chop? Um, yeah, I mean, I think if if the table was just letting me run them over and they were all very tight and and scared of the the, the bladders, I think, you know, it takes the risk of of busting early out of it. So that that could have done it. I also think that you know getting my first live tournament win, and you know getting that trophy also played a part. So I, I think you know going into the next final table, if there are similar pay jumps, and I already have this nice win trophy sitting in my in my cabinet, 
I think I think the thought process might be slightly different. I don't know if that's a good thought process or flawed, but but that's a bit what was going through my mind. You know what I like about it? It's honest. And I can hear some of our listeners. I can just imagine some of our listeners thinking, oh, that's so silly. You know, why does Simon care about a trophy? But I, I, got, a, I got a little bit of hardware at home <laughs> myself. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you, your bankroll will fluctuate you know money comes and goes but flags fly forever Mm -hmm. and uh there is something about being a a champion or you know just having some memento so i'm with you i I would love to have trophies uh okay we can do a a fair equity chop if you guys want to but Mm -hmm. i'm keeping that trophy because i got the most chips right now (laughs) and so uh yeah i know that not everyone will agree with that and many of you that are listening to this your philosophy is, you know, we just, we play for money, not for pride, not for ego, not for trophies, not for glory, but yeah, to me, there's a little glory involved and it just feels good to know that something you'll always have on the mantle. You can tell your grandchildren someday, this is one of the first trips I ever took to Vegas and the third tournament I ever played and I've won it and here's my trophy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's not nothing to me. Yeah, yeah, and that was that was definitely going through my head. And also the the other four players, they they were not not bad players. Um, I I think that I might have had an edge there because I've done a lot of you know ICMizer studying and ICM situations um, at home, and it's it's something I I've, I've spent a lot of time on. But the players they were aggressive and and they were they were good. They were capable for sure. Fantastic. So what's next for you? I know you were doing some streaming. You haven't been on lately on Twitch, but you 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 used to be a pretty active. Twitch streamer at Sleevy98. Uh, so what's happening with that? Are you planning to get back on now that you've got your bankroll all pumped up? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think I think I will start streaming a bit more. Um, it's difficult with with the time because after work I I have to commit you know to five hours or or whatever the the tournament ends up lasting. So so I've I've been doing more study streams and and more just conversational streams which I've been enjoying. Um, but but definitely looking to to start streaming a bit more now. Yeah. So yeah, I mean also people we didn't talk about this, but you do work full time, so it's not like you have mm-hmm. you know seven days a week that you just uh, <laughs> go on the Twitch and and screw around with everybody. But yeah, um, would be nice to uh, to get back on there. I always enjoyed uh, checking you out on Twitch. And that's Sleevy ninety eight. It's S L E E V Y ninety eight for those who might be looking for Simon out in the uh, Twitch streets. Uh, they can also follow you on Twitter, right? Why don't you give out your Twitter handle? I know you're on there once in a while, too. My Twitter handle is also Sleevy98. I try to make it simple for everyone. <laughs> yeah, that's like me, Clayton Comic on everything. Oh, this has been great, man. I just, uh, I'm so tickled for you. Um, yeah, I remember that first time when we met up and we talked a little bit about, about poker, maybe even the same day that your mom introduced me to you. And mm-hmm. I realized that we had uh, a similar passion for the game that we love. Uh, it's really cool. What else do you want people to know before we have to say goodbye? Um, not not much else to know. I, I feel like we, we talked about a lot. I had a great time. I had a great time here talking through my experience. It's always great to, to kind of think about it again. I've, I've uh, certainly haven't forgotten, and it's been nice. To yeah, see. well, I hope that a few years from now you're going to need a whole new mantle for all your trophies. <laughs> yeah, I, I hope so, too. <laughs> yeah, well, thanks for coming on the podcast, and I uh, really appreciate you taking the time. Appreciate it, Clayton.
All right, so for Simon Levy and for everyone here at Tournament Poker Edge, I'm Clayton Fletcher. Thank you so much for listening. Love nobody